Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, explorers. I'm Pamela Riccia, and this is episode number 303 of the podcast. It's the 10th of November, 2021, as I record this intro. And this week, I'm continuing my mini-series in celebration of unschooling, sharing the draft of an as-yet-unpublished book I wrote a few years ago. The book looks at unschooling through the lens of parenting, and this week, we're diving into Chapter 6, Exploring Character. Uh, Before that, I wanted to share a little something I wrote in reply to a question I received this week. The writer saying they love the idea of unschooling, but is that enough for their children? Uh, Maybe you could tell me what are the top three most important characteristics of a happy unschooling family, or whatever you think thinks most important. (laughs) And I wrote a book exactly about that, except it's my top four, not top three. Free to Live, Creating a Thriving Unschooling Home is about the four family characteristics I found had the most positive impact. They are curiosity, patience, strong relationships, and trust. But it's not enough to know what they are. Understanding why these characteristics are so helpful to unschooling is crucial so that we can choose to respond to our kids in ways that support unschooling rather than undermine it. That's what the book dives into. And loving the idea of unschooling is a great start, but to embrace it as a fulfilling lifestyle means understanding how it works and then seeing how it plays out in your family. That takes time, though, and you're doing that work, so keep it up. Unschooling books, podcasts, and more help with the intellectual understanding piece. And the Living Joyfully Network is beautifully suited for the processing piece exploring what that actually looks like day-to-day in your family. Cultivating a thriving unschooling ethos in your family needs both of those pieces, the intellectual and the practical, woven together. They feed each other, and that's how trust in unschooling as a lifestyle grows. In support of that, in the network, we have a theme each month and two lenses through which we explore it. Each lens lasts two weeks, so in the first week we focus more on the understanding piece, and in the second week we look at what that might look like in practice. This month, for example, our theme is a family of individuals, and we're exploring it through the lenses of choice and connection. This theme was actually recently requested by one of our members after reading my talk of the same name. The conventional approach to family harmony focuses on encouraging family members to get along and be nice to one another because you're family. What I discovered is that while it may seem counterintuitive at first, focusing on supporting the individuals in the family rather than looking at the family as a whole cultivated a strong and connected foundation in which more easygoing family relationships could flourish. I'll link to the talk in the show notes. We're using it as a jumping off point for conversations in the network this month. Speaking of, in the network, we don't tell you how you should unschool. We share experience, not advice. Our collaborative approach grows from our understanding that there is no one right answer that applies to all families, especially when it comes to learning and parenting. 
Instead, we share our diverse experiences and insights as more information to help you explore and discover what works for you and your family. When you join, you get immediate access to the amazing and ever-growing index of content around our previous monthly themes, including nurturing our children's learning, validation, consent, play, self-care, our parenting toolbox, and lots more. You'll also get access to our growing resource library, a collection of online resources, books, podcast episodes, and more about various topics of interest as they relate to unschooling, including exploring neurodiversity, about sleep, playing with sensory activities, what about math and technology, not to mention the connection and inspiration that comes with surrounding yourself with other parents who are also embracing their unschooling journey. If you're curious to learn more about the network, check out the link in the show notes or just go to livingjoyfully.ca slash network. And last but definitely not least, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. And a big welcome to new patron, Vasya. Hi, Vasya. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support pays for the hosting and transcription and contributes to the time I spend creating new episodes each week. It's instrumental in keeping the podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash exploringunschooling. And now let's dive back into the book. Chapter 6, Exploring Character There is a dizzying array of character traits being explored and discussed by psychologists and researchers today. In this chapter, I want to build on the character discussion we began in Chapter 2. That was the why, and now we'll tackle the how. We're going to concentrate on the traits that I've seen have a significant impact on our children's ability to navigate and engage with the world. The list is similar to what researchers have been citing as markers of, quote, success, though we've already redefined that definition. Though the lives of unschooling teens and young adults can look definitely successful through a conventional lens, we're now starting to see that they are coming to it from a decidedly unconventional perspective. Once we discover how helping our children explore the world on their terms so positively impacts their learning, We find ourselves extending that mindset to their learning about themselves, their internal world, their character. We discussed the cost of judgment and shame in the last chapter on creativity, but it also has a heavy cost when looking at character and how it develops. In fact, judgment and shame are used so often to try to mold children into who we think they should be that it's almost cliche for young adults to take time off to find themselves. Instead, unschooling parents choose to help their children understand themselves and explore the people they want to be, rather than trying to subtly manipulate them to develop the character traits that we think would be good for them. Just like knowledge and skills, children will discover the traits that are more helpful for navigating the world as they navigate the world, and they'll find their own intrinsic motivations to develop them. You don't teach character, you nurture its development. Self-awareness. Let's start our exploration by looking at self-awareness. 
as Aristotle is commonly quoted as saying, knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. I've come to see self-awareness as an extension of being curious. It's being curious about yourself, your thoughts, your emotions, your behaviors, your strengths, your weaknesses, your choices. It's asking yourself why over and over as you unearth a genuine view of yourself. My children's strong sense of self-awareness was an unexpected yet remarkable outcome of growing up unschooling. I didn't really understand the value of knowing yourself until I watched my children develop their own deep sense of self-awareness and saw how that understanding positively influenced so many of their choices. So how does this self-awareness develop? Unschooling parents focus on helping our children become aware of their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Even if we need to slow down so we can pay close attention to their words and body language. Even if their wishes change widely and often. Even if we need to be open to shifting gears and figuring out a new path forward. Even if it stretches our comfort zones. This awareness helps our children understand themselves better, both intellectually and emotionally. And it's a great place from which to explore the kind of person they want to be. Over the years, they also come to realize that who they are isn't cast in stone. They see themselves changing and growing as a person. Maybe old interests fade as new ones take root, or they notice an increased ability to move through frustrating moments more gracefully. Along the way, we share our experiences too, what we're learning about ourselves as we strive to understand why we do the things we do to get more comfortable with challenging our beliefs, and to keep an open mind. Adults aren't children who are done cooking. Our children see us learning and shifting and growing. In other words, living. Conventionally, there's a yardstick of acceptable actions and behaviors that parents and teachers are subtly trying to guide children toward using tools like judgment and shame. But judgment pours the parents' expectations deep into the mix, making it much harder for children to suss out how they feel about a situation, as opposed to how they are supposed to feel. Shaming children and adults for their seeming shortcomings or mistakes is more likely to encourage them to distance themselves from those moments, rather than try to understand and learn from them. Just as giving our children the space and support to explore their interests helps them cultivate their curiosity, the space and support to explore themselves helps them better understand how they tick. As we help them follow their interests, they will choose something to do and see how it goes. And every time they're learning about the activity and about themselves. How motivated were they to jump in? How much did they enjoy it? Did something frustrate them? If so, how did they react? Did it help? Would they like to do it again? And remember, being free to choose doesn't mean they'll always choose easy things. Choosing the easy way is often what we do when we don't really have a choice. I have to clean up my room. I'll put as much stuff under my bed as I can fit. Who wants to invest a lot of time and energy into something they aren't very interested in doing in the first place? That's not laziness. That's common sense. Unschoolers don't shy away from challenges because they have chosen them for themselves. They know the delight and gratification that comes from accomplishing a difficult task, 
And they are often willing to attempt something ambitious because they aren't afraid that they'll be judged negatively or ashamed if things go unexpectedly. (laughs) And unexpectedly is not just a way to avoid saying mistake. When learning is intricately connected with living, it becomes much more difficult to imagine an outcome as being definitively wrong, as something that should never have been done in the first place. If things don't work out as hoped, or expected, we celebrate the effort, commiserate over the outcome, help our children process the situation to learn what they can from the experience, and encourage them to try again or to try something new. They are developing self-awareness, building character. Unschoolers are more apt to call it living. Now, here's an interesting question for you. How do you feel about quitting? When we give our children the space and support to follow their interests, at some point, their choice may be to quit something. And that's okay. If our goal is to help them learn more about themselves rather than about any particular thing, choosing to quit fits the bill nicely. Maybe it wasn't what they were expecting. Maybe their interest has faded. Maybe their personality doesn't mesh with that particular environment. Regardless, greater self-awareness is the result. Even then, moving on from an organized activity needn't mean an end to learning about it. What if they really don't like swimming lessons? If your wish is for them to enjoy swimming and be safe in the water, find the ways they do enjoy the water and explore those for now. The adventure of water parks, playing at the beach, jumping off the dock into the lake, a wading pool in the backyard. Open your mind to the many ways there are to enjoy water beyond swimming lessons. Joining and quitting activities is more about helping our children explore their interests through the activities and environments that spark their curiosity and bring them joy. That's where solid learning is, both about the world and about themselves. If they discover a passionate interest, they will doggedly pursue it, even through many challenging moments. You don't need to teach this kind of unwavering commitment by requiring it in everything they choose to try. And really, you can't teach commitment. You can demand they act like they are committed, not missing practices, games, meetings, and so on. But often what they are really learning is to not try out something new unless they're quite sure they'll like it enough to make it to the end of the session. Rather than worrying that letting them quit something means they'll always quit when things get challenging, help them find things that they enjoy so much that their dedication and commitment flows naturally. The more deeply children, people, understand themselves, the better choices they are able to make. As they evaluate potential opportunities, their assessment of the pros and cons is more accurate for them, and they are more apt and able to incorporate new experiences, continuing to develop their self-awareness over the years. Understanding their interests and how they tick helps them choose interests, hobbies, activities, and eventually work that mesh well with their interests and personality. And time is yet again another essential component. Time for self-reflection. Time to recognize the connections between their emotional and physical state. Time to uncover how their actions and reactions are rooted in their personality and character. It's something humans do naturally. We try to make sense of things. We just need the time to do it. 
Sometimes people hear about our unschooling lifestyle and imagine that being able to choose what to do each day must mean that our children's lives are easy and they are always happy. Yet, as an adult, you get to choose what you do each day. Are you always happy? Do things always go the way you want them to? (laughs) No, that's life, no matter your age. Unschooling children will experience many uncomfortable and upsetting moments. Anger, frustration, deep sadness. Sometimes they will make choices that deepen the anger or sadness of the moment. They will probably lose control sometimes. That's human. And each instance is a bit more information that, when the stress of the moment has passed, can be added to their growing self-awareness. The difference with unschooling is these challenging moments aren't the result of parents or teachers trying to control them. They come from real life. Self-awareness is such a valuable skill for day-to-day living, and understanding yourself helps you better understand others, which leads us nicely into empathy. Empathy. (laughs) Once you are able to recognize emotions and needs in yourself, it's easier to recognize and understand them in others. In other words, self-awareness is a prerequisite to developing empathy. Let's take a moment to make sure we hold the same idea of what empathy is, because sometimes it can be confused with sympathy. Sympathy acknowledges emotion in another person, person, but the connection stops there. A sympathetic person then jumps in trying to make things better, sharing the silver lining they see as they try to cajole the person out of their disconsolate feelings about the situation. In contrast, empathy is about feeling with a person, acknowledging the emotion and then connecting with the person on that level, helping them feel heard and understood where they are. Teresa Wiseman, a nursing scholar, conducted a concept analysis of empathy published in the Journal of Advanced Nursing in which she defined four important characteristics of the act. Number one, see the world as others see it. Take the perspective of another person. Two, Understand another's current feelings. See the other person's feelings in the moment. Three, non-judgmental. See those feelings as valid and accept them as that person's truth. And four, communicate the understanding. Let the other person know through words or actions that you understand and can relate to their feelings. Seeing situations from the other person's perspective, not judging their perspective as somehow wrong, connecting and talking with them where they are intellectually and emotionally, that sounds pretty similar to how unschooling parents approach learning with their children, doesn't it? Being empathetic is not so much a set of rules to follow, but an open and connecting way of approaching moments in our days with the people we care about. And just to circle back to sympathy for a moment, being empathetic doesn't preclude sharing the silver lining you might see in the situation. It means connecting with and validating the other person first and then following their lead as to when they are ready to move on to talking, processing, silver linings, and feeling better. So now that we're on the same page about what empathy is, how does unschooling nurture a child's developing sense of empathy? Having first developed enough self-awareness to have a sense of the depth of their own inner landscape, Developing empathy is rooted in being able to see that in others, in being able to see a situation from that person's perspective. Unschooling parents do this regularly. 
rather than imposing their perspective and solution on a situation, for example, when various people's needs seem to be in conflict with each other, they seek to understand the perspectives and needs of everyone involved, non-judgmentally, so each person feels heard and understood, and to find a path forward with which everyone is reasonably comfortable and satisfied. Does that sound like a lot of time and work? It is. But the strong and trusting relationships that grow out of the process are pretty incredible. And there's time again. Unschooling parents take the time to understand each person's perspective and share those varying perspectives with the others involved, meaning unschooling children naturally come to see that their perspective isn't the only credible way to look at a set of circumstances that different people have different goals and perspectives. And they see everyone's perspectives, theirs included, being valued and treated as important. With years of these experiences under their belt, unschooling children intuit how being empathetic with family members helps them support someone they love through hard moments, strengthens their relationships, and is a key component of working through challenges. And they bring that awareness with them into their extended relationships with friends. And circling back to being free to quit, unschooling children feel comfortable in their family to say, that doesn't work for me, knowing that their parents will do their best to understand their perspective and incorporate their needs. And again, this is applicable to adults too. So many people feel like they have no control over their lives and that they cannot choose to quit most things. That conventional mindset makes most days a drudgery to get through. Yet what we consider obligations, things we think we, quote, have to do, are not cast in stone. It is still our choice to undertake them. Nobody is arrested for not showing up at work. So why do you go? Take a few moments to realize that even if you aren't particularly happy at your job, there are still reasons you choose to go. Maybe for the money or the camaraderie or the experience. Remember, you are free to quit. And what a different mindset. Suddenly, control is back in your hands. Reminded of why you choose to go to work or go to the gym or visit your relatives or clean the bathroom, whatever in your life feels like an obligatory chore, you can better see the benefits you reap. Philosophically, this freedom of choice, this freedom to quit, is not a luxury. It is fundamental to our lives. In an unschooling family, each person's day does not look like a laundry list of obligations, but a smorgasbord of choices. This is a wonderful environment for developing a deeper understanding of ourselves and of the people we live with, as they too are free to choose what they do and when they want to quit. Getting along with others is a skill that develops naturally when everyone has the choice to stay or go, to play or quit. With empathy also comes the capacity to not only see another's perspective, but to understand their feelings in the situation, which in turn can inspire us to help them out. Helping out others is a valuable aspect of community, which the education system recognizes. But to encourage it, they typically fall back on what they know, external motivation. They compel students to act charitably rather than helping them discover their internal motivation for doing so. 
Here in Ontario, Canada, to graduate, high school students must complete not only the required curriculum, but also 40 volunteer hours in the community. Mandatory volunteer hours. What a curious oxymoron. Does it seem reasonable that imposed hours working in the community will help them develop an empathy-driven desire to help? Forcing people to do something most often drives them away from it, not toward. What does it look like in the community? Here's an example. In her teens, my daughter volunteered at the local animal shelter thrift store. The retired community members turned volunteers that she worked alongside, assumed she was doing her mandatory hours, even asking her to enter her hours in a binder at the end of each shift. They were flabbergasted when her 40 hours were up and she continued to come. It was unheard of. They came up to me to tell me so when I picked her up one day after her shift. She continued volunteering there until she moved away. Of course, not everyone's going to choose to volunteer in the community. But which do you think better nurtures empathy for long-term involvement? Forcing all students to put in a set number of hours, treating volunteering and helping in the community like it's another job to get through? Or fostering children's ability to see situations from the perspectives of others and helping those who are drawn to volunteering discover the joy and mutually beneficial nature of helping out others? Empathy helps us navigate and build strong and rewarding relationships, both personal and professional. It's through empathy that we connect deeply with our family and our extended community. Helping our children explore and develop empathy is something that will serve them throughout their lifetime. Trust in themselves. In character research circles, this is typically called self-confidence. Yet, I'm not sure that phrase conveys the depth of thought and reflection behind their actions, so I'm going to emphasize the trust aspect by sticking with this longer but more descriptive term. And this is what trust in themselves looks like in unschooled teens and young adults. They don't wait to be told what to do. That may not seem particularly noteworthy, but nowadays it is. In The Icarus Deception, How High Will You Fly?, author and entrepreneur Seth Godin describes this moment in history with his unique flair. He writes, As the industrial age has faded away and been replaced by the connection economy, the wide-open reality of our new economic revolution, the fence has been dismantled. It's gone. But most of us have no idea that we're no longer fenced in. We've been so thoroughly brainwashed and intimidated and socialized that we stay huddled together, waiting for instructions, when we have the first, best, and once-in-a-lifetime chance to do something extraordinary instead. Have you seen this reluctance to act around you? I have. It seems many people don't trust themselves to know what to do, so they wait to be told. When my daughter volunteered at the animal shelter thrift store, the older volunteers were quick to tell me how surprised they were that during her shift, she did things on her own, tidying up this and sweeping that. They were so used to having to tell the mandatory teen volunteers what to do and what to do next when they were finished with that. What's going on? I think part of the reluctance to act is yet another long-term consequence of the fear of judgment that is so often instilled during childhood. If they're worried about what other people think about their actions, 
chances are they'll wait to be told what to do so they don't have to take the blame if something goes wrong. The other significant factor seems to be the lack of experience in making choices. If they don't have lots of experience in choosing and taking action, they don't think they are capable of making good choices. So again, they sit back and wait for others to act first. The timidity and lack of trust in themselves that we see in so many people makes pretty good sense given the environment in which they grew up. Yet, it seems like it's gone a step further in the last couple of decades, beyond waiting for others to act first, to a growing expectation that others should act for them. It's a pretty common perception that an increasing number of young people have developed a sense of entitlement. Conventional parenting advice claims the solution is for parents to not give their children everything they ask for. (laughs) I'm sure you've heard that one. But that's not the root of the issue, just a symptom. The entitled behavior I've come across over the years seems to be rooted in an expectation that things will go their way, whether their expectations are for material things or a job or for the people in their lives to meet their needs, regardless of the impact on those around them. With the education system's current laser focus on testing and the far-reaching consequences of the results, anything that may throw a wrench in the cycle of teach and test is dealt with quickly by the adults. There is very little involvement of the students in the process. As such, students gain little hands-on experience at school with ways to approach problem-solving. What they learn over the years is that the adults in their lives will solve any problems that arise, that they aren't smart or trustworthy enough to help find solutions, that they should look to the older, more experienced people in their lives to tell them what to do. Over time, they intuitively learn to expect to be taken care of in this way. At home, The family's very busy schedule of school and extracurricular activities also means that children don't have much time to work through challenges as they arise here either. To make life easier, parents often end up making decisions unilaterally because involving their children in the process is time-consuming. Who has the time and energy? So again, children don't gain experience with ways to move through challenges. They don't learn to understand or value the needs of others, empathy, nor learn ways to incorporate those needs into a solution moving forward. What they've learned at school is reinforced at home. Others will tell them what to do and take care of their needs. I don't believe it's done with any harmful intent, but like the infantilization of teens we discussed earlier, it sneaks up on us, doesn't it? Teachers and parents tell children what to do because it's easier and faster in the moment than the alternative. And children learn the underlying lesson. They can't be trusted to figure out what to do. So why are we surprised that as young adults and beyond, whenever they are confronted by challenges in the world at large, they expect that their parents or the more experienced adults around them, like their boss, to solve it for them? Few have developed any trust in themselves that they can rise to the challenge. Trust in others and in oneself is earned through experience. And growing up, they have had precious little experience in solving real-life challenges. Interestingly, this sense of entitlement doesn't seem to be much of an issue with unschooled young adults. 
This can be perplexing if you've taken the conventional advice to heart about not helping your child get everything they ask for, because unschooling parents definitely help and support their children as much as possible. In fact, looking from the outside in, it appears we are spoiling them. So why don't most unschooling children grow up to feel an even stronger sense of entitlement? Why don't they expect others to solve their problems for them? For the reasons we touched on above, they haven't been instilled with a deep fear of being wrong and have been given a wealth of opportunities to evaluate challenging situations, make choices, and see what happens. Their parents have taken the time to involve them in problem solving, including incorporating the bigger picture of situational constraints and the needs of others. They have given them the opportunity to make their own choices and see what happens. And unschooling parents take it a step further. They let their children own their experiences. We actively support our children, but we also take a moment to think about whether our support is overstepping their needs. If we aren't careful, sometimes we can inadvertently take over their experience, making it more about us and less about them. This is all part of the dance of relationships. It's not always going to go smoothly, but it's important to pay attention to the clues. If we're unsure whether we're leading too much, we ask ourselves a couple of questions. Are our efforts designed to help our children, say, move through some uneasiness they're feeling? Do they appreciate us taking the lead for a while? Or are our efforts more about us wanting to make this thing happen? Maybe to ease some anxiety we are feeling. Self-awareness is a valuable trait for us too. Children learn the most when we help them accomplish what they want to accomplish. If we push past that into what we want them to accomplish, a subtle yet crucial distinction, they will be learning more about us than about themselves. Instead, unschooling parents choose to spend their time helping their children take as much responsibility as they want. What does that look like in real life? Well, let's imagine a five-year-old who wants to make cookies. In an unschooling home, typically the parent will help their child based on their child's needs. They'll read through the recipe with them. They'll pay attention to whether the child is interested in gathering all the tools and ingredients, patiently pointing out where all the stuff is located if that's the case, and if not, quickly gathering the supplies on the counter. They'll show the child which buttons to press or dials to turn on the stove to set the temperature and turn it on. They'll sit back as the child measures out ingredients, answering questions, maybe chatting about what the different ingredients do. They'll watch, again, patiently as the child stirs the ingredients together, giggling with them as the loose flour makes a cloud and taking over the mixing for a bit if the child gets tired and wants some help. When putting the dough on the cookie sheets, if their child wants to try making a really big cookie alongside the more regular-sized ones, they'll likely say, what a fun idea, and help them figure out the best way to bake it. And as the cookies bake, parent and child may have fun playing with bubbles in the sink as they wash the dishes used. In other words, the unschooling parent will follow their child's lead throughout the process to see how hands-on they'd like their parent to be in the process. The goal isn't the cookies. It's the child's exploration and learning. In a conventional home, things might well go differently. The parent will probably direct the child's actions more, with the goal being to teach the child how to correctly make cookies. 
There's a recipe to follow, so there's no room for exploration. Getting it right is the key goal. The parent will probably turn on the oven. You're too young to touch the stove. They'll also likely gather all the supplies and ingredients. We don't have all day. (laughs) And they'll be constantly and closely monitoring the process, judging it, directing it, even taking over at times. Here's how you make sure the measuring spoon is full. Don't stir too fast, you'll make a mess. Make sure the cookies are all the same size. In both families, these dynamics play out over years in many diverse situations. Unschooling parents are focused on helping their children gain experience in appraising situations and making choices and encouraging them to take as much responsibility as they are interested in, while conventional parents are more focused on doing things quickly and getting their children to do things the right way. But by constantly doing things for their children, their children absorb the message that they aren't capable. When we place adult-sized expectations of both speed and skill on our children's actions, we miss discovering how much children really want to participate in life, to do things they see the adults around them doing to the very best of their ability. But if we can mostly stay in the role of partner and facilitator, their experiences will remain firmly theirs. They will pursue their interests, make choices, live the results, and incorporate what they learn from those experiences into their lives. And rather unsurprisingly at this point, because they feel in control of the outcome of their choices, over time they develop a sense of responsibility for their actions. They know they can figure things out. Maybe not the first time and maybe not perfectly, but they know they'll make it through. They understand that others have wants and needs and constraints and that their path forward may include asking others for help and support, but they recognize that they are asking. They don't expect or assume that others are obligated to help them. Before we began unschooling, I didn't understand the long-term benefits of supporting my children in making their own choices, in taking the time to talk through situations with them, options, needs, wants, constraints, and finding a path forward that hit the highlights so that those involved were satisfied. At first, I was doing it to support their learning. Yet over the years, I've come to see that it's so much more than that. It's about learning ways to live in our world. For every choice, there are often so many possibilities, constraints, and other people to consider. Unschooling is about children living real life alongside their parents. Parents who are there to help and support them as they explore and learn. And through years of experience, they build a deep trust in themselves and their ability to choose their actions. They don't wait to be told what to do. I love how Akila S. Richards brings that out in her book, Raising Free People. She writes, Our family defines unschooling as child-trusting, anti-oppression, liberatory, love-centered approach to parenting and caregiving. As unschoolers, the four of us operate with a core belief that children own themselves and that parents and other adults work with children to nurture their confident autonomy, not their ability to obey adults' directives. Adaptability, grit, and a zest for life. Lots of experience owning their choices and outcomes means that unschooling children have experienced times when things have gone forward, backward, up, down, and sideways. (laughs) What do they do when things go unexpectedly? 
This is where adaptability and grit weave in nicely. Grit helps you persevere through challenging circumstances, and adaptability helps you readjust your plans to meet or bypass the challenge. So how does unschooling help children develop adaptability and grit? Conventionally, children are expected to do what they're told. When a challenge arises, the adults decide how to respond, and the children follow. Children rarely get the opportunity to analyze the changing circumstances and choose how to adapt. They get to observe how adults do it, with the idea being that they'll remember it for next time. Yet, by now, we know that's not an effective way to learn. Unschooling children are often involved in the process of identifying and analyzing challenges as they arise. Over the years, they explore the value of being adaptable by making a wide variety of choices in a wide variety of situations sometimes choosing to ignore the signs and plow ahead, sometimes tweaking minimally, sometimes making large-scale changes, and sometimes going to the point of choosing to quit and trying a wholly new path to their goal. And through it all, they discover the determination and grit to keep going. Grit is interesting. Angela Duckworth, the psychologist and character researcher who coined the term as a psychological construct, defined it in her TED Talk, The Key to Success, Grit, this way. (laughs) Grit is passion and perseverance for very long-term goals. Grit is having stamina. Grit is sticking with your future day in, day out, not just for the week, not just for the month, but for years, and working really hard to make that future a reality. Grit is living life like it's a marathon, not a sprint. She goes on to say that when she's asked how to build grit in kids, her honest answer is that she doesn't know. Yet, unschooling gives us some pretty solid clues, and we've already talked about two of them. First, the freedom to explore the world, to cast their net wide, wider than curricula. The more they can explore the world, the better the chance they will discover things they are so passionate about that they will stick with them through thick and thin, as the saying goes. And second, time. Giving children the time it takes to stick with whatever catches their interest rather than their school schedule and homework constantly calling them away. In a paper published in 2014 in the Journal of Positive Psychology, Duckworth and her co-authors contend that differences in grit can be, at least partly, explained by differences in the person's approach to pursuing happiness in life. They found that, quote, the drive toward engagement and flow seems in particular to facilitate sustained effort over time, whereas the drive toward immediate pleasure seems in particular to undermine sustained focused interests over time, end quote. We've already talked about engagement and flow in chapter three. And interestingly, the, the chapter title, The Joy of Learning, reminds us that when we focus on finding joy, solid learning follows. Unschooling cultivates an environment of sustained engagement and flow through focusing on finding things a child finds interesting. Not only does the child have the freedom and support to explore and discover their interests and passions, they also have the time to explore moving through challenges and experience the intrinsic rewards of doing so. Unschooling's focus on joy and happiness facilitates the development of grit, whereas schools focus on short-term pleasure and rewards, like an A on a test, inhibits it. Grit is also more related to interest or passion than talent. You can have a talent for something, yet not be passionate about it. Schools are more likely to focus on talent, that innate ability to do something well. But 
without that innate enthusiasm, talent runs on external motivation, on achieving results and receiving accolades, rather than the intrinsic satisfaction found in the act itself. It's passion that drives long-term engagement, which in turn drives more learning. As adults, our days sparkle when we align our passions with our knowledge, skills, and talents, and that is what lies at the heart of our unschooling days, supporting our children as they play with all those aspects in the real world, explore and learn, iterate and optimize, adapt and grow, repeat for life. As Duckworth says, it's life, it's living life like it's a marathon, not a sprint. Again, this was not something I expected to discover when we first began unschooling. Back then, the pursuit of joy and happiness felt rather indulgent, a kind of reward for after the work was done. I had no idea that it would turn out to be the root of so much of the good stuff in our lives. Curiosity, learning, creativity, grit, and more. And what did it look like in action? An insatiable zest for life. At unschooling gatherings, it's one of the first things most new people point out, the children's enthusiasm. And not just the younger children, the older ones too. The teens and young adults were just as busy doing interesting things, having fascinating conversations, playing games, helping out younger kids, engaging in their passions, and sharing with anyone who was curious, curiously investigating what others were up to too. They haven't become cynical. They still have interests. They still do things with enthusiasm. It's infectious. Aldous Huxley understood the value of this approach to living when he said, quote, The secret of genius is to carry the spirit of the child into old age, which means never losing your enthusiasm. End quote. It's the curiosity that pops them out of bed in the morning, the intrinsic joy of learning new and interesting things the adaptability to creatively adjust their course in response to shifting circumstances, the grit to keep moving toward their long-term goals, even as the path weaves momentarily out of sight. These traits look like a zest for life that is almost palpable. Child or adult, it doesn't matter. We are all people. A life in progress. I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey. And be sure to check out the growing podcast archive. The conversations never go out of date. You can find more information about my books, the Living Joyfully Network online community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit online course at my website, livingjoyfully.ca.